Welcome to the bridge. We're so glad you're here. What a awesome venue for this year's event for our Easter service and we're grateful to uh, the school system here for allowing us to come in this building today get socially distanced and all the things that's required of us and we would not have been able to do that at our church. Uh, we would have been uh, standing room only out there today uh, which would be awesome to see but we're so grateful that you're here today and so glad that you've chose the bridge to come and to worship a risen Savior with us here today. Uh, he's alive and well. Uh, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that he makes intercession for you and me. That means he prays for us. And if you need prayer, know this. It's good to reach out and get some Christians praying for you. I believe in that wholeheartedly. But also believe that Jesus himself is sitting there in heaven, right next to his heavenly Father, and praying for you and me. And it doesn't matter if we're in sin, out of sin, whatever. He's praying for you. The Bible says, while you were yet sinners, he loved us. And he gave his life for us. Amen. And that's an awesome thing. And I'm just so grateful for that today. Um, I want to kick off a sermon series today uh, for our church as a whole uh, entitled Generational Gaps. And uh, during this Easter message, it's uh, tailored around for today to kick this off to let us see uh, that God wants to unite when the world wants to divide. Can somebody say amen? I said God wants to unite when the world wants to divide. And as I say that, um, the world of divisions that we're in, we're prone naturally in our human state to divide. And whether that is race, whether that is uh, what uh, denomination you are in churches, or what, there's all these different affiliations that we become a part of and associations or this or that, and we will divide ourselves, sometimes even unknowingly. And the thing that I want to speak to us today about is the generational gaps, the generational divides, and I believe that they are uh, prevalent in our society, I believe they're prevalent in our world, and I think there's a generational gap that's taking place uh, that we need to take notice of and allow Jesus to transition us from dividing to uniting. If that's what his desire is for us, we should desire his will, not ours. So, in saying that, just think about this being Easter, that we're here today, together today and, and united as a church here today, that we're worshiping God in song and and, and listening to introduction with Dusty and with the message now and, and children's church, you've got kids over there in the uh, gymnasium this morning. I'm, so, I'm sure that uh, Sister Albie's got her hands full uh, trying to keep all them rallied together on the seats. Good luck with that, Albie. I'm glad I'm over here. At least you all's a bunch of fuddy-duddies and you'll just stay seated for me, mostly. That way is anyway. If you've got to take a potty break, they're around the corner there. Go ahead and go take your potty break. Uh, just don't break into the gym because you'll get tackled and it will not be fun. Um, and little nursery fellers over here in the library, man alive. I, let's just pray for Elizabeth. Can we pray for Elizabeth? <laughs> and, and I'll be right now just, uh, no really, pray for them because uh, I'm sure their hands are full over there. Uh, they did prepare, and I, I just watched yesterday as we come out here and set up the different places uh, to put our kids in uh age-specific zones to where that they could experience Jesus today. And how many would like to see them experience God in a real and tangible way? 
He's not divided and not just coming in here meeting with us today. We serve a God that loves those little kids. And he desires to reach them where they're at. And I really do want us to pray for them. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and pray for a moment. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we know that you come into this world, a sin-filled world, and you lived a perfect life, and you were crucified for it on a cross of Calvary. And three days later, you rose again from the dead and united things that used to divide. And God, I pray today that as these generations, as we're separated here today and, and nurseries in the library and children's churches in the gymnasium and teachers are there and helpers are there. And God, I just pray today that your spirit would just move amongst us as a whole, God. Even though we're in different locations, your spirit knows no divide. And God, you are uniting today. God, I pray that you would just inhabit their praises as they're going through their praise and worship. And Lord, as the lessons are taught today, God, that we would have open ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church. God, I pray today that you would just unite and not divide. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. There's a scripture in the Old Testament in Malachi. It's the last book of the minor prophets in the old testament so if you're in your old testament of the bible you can and go and it's the very last book in the old testament right before matthew mark luke and john and opens up the new testament and malachi is this minor prophet but it's something that uh, theologians do they say there's major prophets and minor prophets i think they're all prophets myself and uh, he speaks these final words and this is the final two verses of the old testament that i'm going to read to you so this is right before the New Testament begins. It's 400 years earlier, but there was a gap of 400 years where nothing was said before Jesus came. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There's a lot to unpack in those two verses. The first verse says that God prepares Malachi to tell the world that he's going to send the prophet Elijah. Not in bodily form, not a reincarnation of Elijah, but the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament that spoke the word of God and miracles happened. And I believe that this gaps that I'm talking about is something that's going to require a miracle. Amen? In the world we're living in, that people divide into these segmented groups and we have all these little things that we hold fast to ourselves, and we believe that our way is the right way. I believe it's only a miracle of God that the Spirit of God can move upon humanity to get us to shift out of what we're normally a part of and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. How many needs a miracle to get out of yourself? Amen? How many has a hard time dealing with your own self? How are you, buddy? Are you eating a pancake? Well, glory to God, where's everybody else's pancakes? I want a pancake. Trip, you're tearing me up, man. He's good with it. I'm good with it. Just don't get it in the floor. We'll be eating it alive. But it says he's sending that 
spirit of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And in the Old Testament world, this was a generation of people and it was a society as a whole as all humanity that they were struck by the sin curse that Adam and Eve had brought upon all humans. And it didn't take long for that to take root. Adam and Eve were created perfect and they were in the Garden of Eden, yes, as Genesis tells us. And they were in a state of perfection and Adam had a pretty cool job, you know, he got to name all the animals and all that stuff, that'd be fun, you know, never seen a cow before and something over there, and think, I think I'll call that a cow or maybe it's dinosaurs over here, I, I don't know what all he named, he named everything according to animals. And as Adam did this and he was going through his job and working for God and doing the things that God asked him to do, but as he was doing those things, God seen that it wasn't good for him to be alone. And he created Eve. He took the rib out of Adam. We know the story that he, he takes the rib out of the side of Adam and he creates Eve. And it's his helpmate. It's somebody there to go through life with him. And Adam and Eve begin this transition. God tells them, you know, you can have everything in all the garden. You can do everything you want to do. But there's one tree. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. Because it's going to bring judgment on you. And it's something I'm telling you not to do. Mostly adults in the room. Most of you have kids. Or are associated with somebody that has kids. Let me ask you a question. Does your kids always mind? I hear some chuckles. I don't know. I'm wondering. Dolly, does Cindy always mind? Whenever you, I mean, I know she's older, but she's still there, you know. And, and Dolly, you might need to call out on her sometimes. Cindy, I need you to do this. And Cindy's like, nah, I think I'll just live up here and do whatever I want to do, right? We're kind of made like that to where that we will do what we want to do even though we know to do better. And that's the same thing that happened to God. He created Adam and Eve. And he really had a family-type relationship with them, I believe. And he told them, don't do that. And what did they do? They had to mess up, right? They partook of the fruit. It doesn't say that it's an apple. I don't know what kind of fruit it was, but it was some type of piece of fruit. And as they partook of that fruit, instantly they knew that they had messed up. It's the portion of all humanity where that sin entered that world. And God said, sin can't abide here in my presence. I've got to put you out of the garden now. And I want to put you in a place where that you're going to have to tool with your hands, Adam. And you're going to have to bear children, Eve. And as this happened, this sin entered the world. And guess what? The next generation that come about, they had their kids named Cain and Abel. That the Bible depicts in Genesis, the story of Genesis. And as they have these two kids, and guess what? Their kids don't even get along. Anybody got more than two kids? How good are they at getting along? Amen. It's, this is just transition from generation to generation to generation. It has always happened. There has always been a divide. And Cain didn't like it that Abel was pleasing God. Sometimes it's not famous to love God. There's people out there that will crucify you at a stake if you love God too much. 
All throughout history, you can ch study church history, that there has been martyrs, martyrs, and more martyrs, just continuum all throughout history. People don't like people to serve God. But I, Cain killed Abel. God comes down to talk to Abel, ask Cain, Cain, where's your brother at? Sorry. Who am I? I'm not my brother's keeper. What an arrogant, selfish thing to say. That our kids would be so individualistic, if that's a word, that's my word, I'll make whatever words I want, you'll know what I'm talking about, we're in Lewis County. And think about that, that he was so ingrained in what he wanted that he even told God, am I my brother's keeper? Basically what he's saying is, I don't care about him. How many feels like you're living in a world that that very thought is running rampant? Amen? That neighbors don't care about neighbors. The counties that we're in, and even in Lewis County, yeah, we're here, but guess what? You can be from Lewis County and still be somebody that's a, we got some Toesburg people here, Sandy. Sandy's a Toesburgan. Everybody knows where Toesburg is, don't you? It's down the road that way, right? And it's a whole different world. You can go from Toesburg and then go up to Chickens up here and you can land in Firebrick. Well, they say Firebrick, but it's, you, know, it's, you know what I'm talking about. It's, and there's a lot of difference from Firebrick to Toesburg. Then you can travel all the way out and get out there in Laurel. Everybody say, heaven help us. Amen. <laughs> go out in the hill folks country. It's a whole different region out there, right? And this world that we're living in, even in a county that's united, is yet little segments of people. If you don't believe me, take off to, a, to a, um, a basketball game or a softball game or some kind of sports activity of, of, of the schools and, and watch the little bombers from out there at Laurel come into the Garrison Patriots and, and watch and see how united we are. Amen? They'll wear different collar shirts. They'll sit on the opposite side of the gym and parents will scream at the other parents and they're about getting fist fights before you get out of there and that's just the way it is. Amen? I'm pretty partial to my Patriots. If I go to a ball game and Leslie pulls me these ball games all the time with all these kids, we'll go, you know, and we try to attend something for every kid at church, and it's hard. It's hard to get to everything. And we try to get to at least something with each kid at church. When we go in there, though, if I'm sitting in there that day and the Patriots are playing, sorry, folks. I'll be there representing a little bomber kid, or I, I'm, I'm going to take the Patriots side that day. It's just the way it is. It's a way of life. Because it brings back all those flooded memories of me, of my childhood, and I remember playing basketball in elementary school, and you know, Mr. Wills, the, the coach, and just an awesome person, anybody remembers Mr. Wills, just a phenomenal person. And uh, playing basketball, I couldn't play, I couldn't dribble, I couldn't do anything, really. I, I'm not sports, I, I'm not designed for that, I'm not made for that, I can't do that. I've got, I, I don't even know what it's like, got feet for hands or something. But I remember playing, you know, and, and, and taking off with the ball. And my childhood, I was just a goober. There's any goobers in the room? Maybe I'm alone. Y'all got awful quiet right there. It's like, I, I think there's a few other goobers. Look over at your neighbor and say, I believe you're a goober. <laughs> Amen. If you don't believe they're a goober, tell them they're a hoodlum. Amen. There's something, something. You, you can name them something, give them some kind of title. And, and, 
as I was playing ball, and I remember Mr. Wells, he tried to do the best he could with me, and I, I wouldn't do good at school. I didn't pay attention. I, I was so involved with myself that I wouldn't even do things, and I just felt different all the time. Does anybody ever just feel different? Feel like I was different. I, I didn't really fit in. Tried to play baseball, not fit in. But I remember one time I was in a game and was down at Central and, and uh, was down there and I was thinking, man, you know, I'm this little scrawny kid and I was always like the shortest little bitty person ever. And I mean, I was four foot 11 in the ninth grade. I, I hit a growth spurt right after that, but I was like the short little kid. But I was everybody's buddy, I guess. Everybody's like, oh, poor little Ben, you know, they take care of me. That's a good thing. Everybody fight for me. That's good. But I was playing basketball and, and dribbling down through there, and I remember somebody tried to take the ball, and I remember it was Todd Prater and some of them, you know, he was like this giant over here, and we're playing all these kids, and I'm like, this is, this is awful. And they're trying to take a ball from me, and I'm trying to dribble with feet for hands, and, you know, I just want to keep the ball. I just want to get down the court. And, and I remember somebody took the ball, and then I got it back the next time, and I tried to get it back, and I grabbed it, and wherever I did, I just body slammed the ball like this. And that was the end of it. It was like, T, I didn't even know what that meant. Get off the court. I think what the ref was saying is you're a goober. Then I made some Fs, and next thing you know, I was off the team. How awesome is that? Boy, old man, he's a, he's a dandy, ain't he? Thank God for giftings and callings that's not of this world, because if I was going on my own abilities, I would miserably fail. But these generational gaps, that's kind of the things that happened. And I'd get mad at my brother because I wanted to play football in, little, in, in elementary school and because I'd already failed at baseball and failed at basketball, and I wanted to get into football. And I, I was a little scrawny kid, but I wanted to play. And Mom was like, no, you, you can play, but you only play if Howie plays. Anybody know Howie? Everybody I talk to out in the community, they'll say, oh, who are you? Yeah, I'm Ben. Ben uh, Collier. Okay, yeah. Oh, uh, you Howie's little brother? Yeah, yeah, that's my name, Howie's little brother. It's on my birth certificate. Everybody knows me as Howie's little brother. It's just the way it is. But Mom told me, you know, if you're going to play football, the only way you're going to let you play that, because that looks like a dangerous sport, and it's not like basketball, and it's not like uh, baseball or something. She said, the only way that's going to be able to happen is if uh, you get Howie to play. So I asked Howie to play. Howie's like, no, I'm not playing. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do any of that. He barely played baseball with me, but he wouldn't play. And I remember being mad about that and thinking, what a jerk. What a jerk. I want to play. He don't want to play, so now I don't get to play. And those stories are just stories that we all feel. And sometimes our childhood ingrains in us a pattern for life. Amen? And I don't know every person in this room, and I don't know every one of your childhoods, and I don't know everything that's happened to everybody here, but I know somebody that does. I can tell you this, that God loves you more than you know. And he's looking down right now and seeing you sitting here celebrating the resurrection of his son. And he says, wow, I'm glad you're here. We've said that a couple times from this podium here. 
But I really truly believe that God is looking down and saying, yes, I know you better than you know yourself. The Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. I don't know what your relationship status is with God right now. But I know this, that he's pursuing every person in this room. His spirit is moving in every person's life. And as Malachi is sharing this word that there's a prophet Elijah that's coming before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And this is something that I believe that every generation has looked for and listened for and paid attention to that we feel like that this generation is worse than the last. Amen? That there's something going on, that there's a shift happening, and it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And it seems like it is coming unraveled and undone. And every generation sees this, and they'll say, you know, that, that uh, you, know, you need to watch for the eastern sky. You need to watch for Jesus to return. And every generation thought their generation is that generation. But the Bible says that no man knows the day or hour that Jesus is going to come. But Jesus did tell his disciples to do this. He said, occupy till I come. There is a great and dreadful day of the Lord that is talking about here in Malachi. And we don't know that day or an hour. You don't know it. I don't know it. None of the TV evangelists that got all the books on the end time events, they don't know it. I'm telling you, one person in all of creation knows that day or an hour. Jesus said himself, I don't even know the day or an hour. Our Heavenly Father and Him alone is the only one that knows. So if God is the only one that knows... We don't need to be worried about, am I that generation or not? What we need to worry about is, is the spirit of Elijah, a prophet, alive and well, and is he coming before that great and dreadful day? So what I'm asking today, if we're going to bridge generational gaps, if we're going to tear down barriers that divide us, if we're going to be a uniting group of people that seeks the presence of God in our life and the will of God for our life, we need to tear down these things that divide us. These barriers. And as I think about that, our church, we changed the name of our church last year. At the beginning of the year, and we had these uh, thoughts that we was going to do, and you know, we named it The Bridge. And Some people would come up and they'd be like, well, why'd you name it The Bridge? And I always said this, that I wanted to be named a church as something that is known to unite. That you can come here whether you're black whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether, no matter what descent you're from. You can come here if you're rich. You can come here if you're poor. You can come here if you're young. You can come here if you're old. You can come here in your middle age. You can come here ever what generation you're from. I wanted to be a church that is known that crosses those divides. Why? Because that's what the church needs to be is a uniting force in the world. And as I say that today, I want you to think about this and just ponder this for a second. Think about, we're sitting in this auditorium today, worshiping Jesus. There's, we have missionaries today that woke up this morning that had a church service in Japan, and they're worshiping Jesus in Japan. There, we got missionaries in the Middle East, and they're over there in worship services, worshiping a risen Savior that we're worshiping. 
There is, we've got people, uh, missionaries down in South America. They're all over the world today that we send out missionaries as a church. And I'm so grateful for that because we can bridge to areas that you and I may not be able to go reach. But we can send somebody because that's what God asked us to do is send. Some's job is to stay back and pray. Others' job is to send. Others is to help send them by financial money. We, we take up money every month for finances to help raise, to send missionaries around the world. So you're a part of that today. And we're not taking up an offering today. We've done that intensely. We don't want to put you in a position. We don't want to pass a plate. We don't want to do those things. So you're not on the hook today. But a bridge can unite. And Jesus today is uniting the world through Easter services. And think about that. That there's Catholics in Rome today worshiping God for Easter. And here we're sitting in a church known as the bridge today worshiping Jesus as our risen Savior. There's Methodist Church downtown. There's Christian Church over at Central School today. We're all, yes, we're in different places, but we're worshiping the same God. He is a uniter. He does not divide. And as I think about the word bridge and how it should be something that unites us and how it bridges gaps, I thought about, you know, like bridges in the world that we can think about, and like the Golden Great Bridge, is a, it's, it's long. And it almost seemed to previous generations before steel and before all this different type of stuff, it was somewhere that was almost impassable, impossible to get from one place to another. Think about things that they built in other generations that preceded us, like things like Hoover Dam. How, who would have ever stood on one side and looked at the other side and thought, I could build something to get from here to there? But that generation known as the builders, the builder generation, was ones that said impossible things are possible if we do it together collectively. If we'll get on the same page and the same team and think and unite, we can do something. And I thank God for the bridge Church, that we are a uniting church. But I thank God for those generations known as the builders that was a generation that thought impossible things were possible. I hope and pray that it transitions to my generation. Any baby boomers in the house? There's some baby boomers here. There's always generations that they, they segment us into and say you're from this generation or you're from that generation. But I pray today that God helps us to unite and not divide generations. And when you're out in the world and you're out doing your job and you're out in all these different places in the secular society that we live in, you'll hear these terms. These millennials. Amen? It tears you up when you look at it and think, man, I don't know if I'm going if, if that's going to be who running the nursing home when I go in there, it's not going to be good times. Amen. And we always look down on these other generations and think, what's going to happen? The world's going to fall apart. And we've always thought that. Every generation, I think, has always thought that, that the next generation's not capable. But I believe that God can empower people to do impossible things if they believe and trust in Him. And that's what he's asking us to do. And as this forerunner the, the, of the Old Testament, where that this Old Testament prophet is prophesying about something that's getting ready to happen and telling them there's going to be a day where that, uh, this prophet's coming. And his name's John the Baptist is who ends up being this person. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he stands there and he's, he, he goes out and he begins to baptize people in the river of Jordan. 
And chance you know this story that as he's out there baptizing people, all these Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious folk come out and thought, well, that ain't how we worship. That's not our style, man. And as they come and they try to challenge what John the Baptist is doing, John the Baptist is telling them, I'm only preparing a way for one that's coming after me that's going to unite the world like it's never been united before. And as he stands there and begins to proclaim them, and he tells them, I'm going to go ahead and baptize. You can tell me I can't worship like this, but if God called me to do it, amen, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the will of my Father. And whenever we get in the center of his will, I'm telling you this, his presence comes. Because as we praise him, he moves in our midst. And as John the Baptist is doing that, he's telling about this person, I'm not worthy to loose the sandals of this guy that's coming. And just a few days later, after they're telling him he can't worship like this, John the Baptist is still in the river, he's still doing it, and he's still doing what God told him to do. And as he goes down there, and all these people around, next day or two, you can read it in John 1, He's standing there, and he's telling them this thing, I'm the one preparing the way for somebody coming. The Bible says that out of, down from the mountain comes walking this man. This man that walks down in the water looks at him and says, John, I need to be baptized. And John knows who it is. It's his cousin. It's like Jesus... I'm not worthy to baptize you. And just like us, we all feel unworthy of him. But Jesus said you must do it to fulfill the plan. You have to do it, John. Can you imagine and just picture with me and think about this mentally just for a second. John the Baptist taking this Messiah, the Son of God, and baptizing him in water. And when he lifts up out of the water, something miraculous happens. Everybody that's sitting there and hears this story as it's going on and it's transpiring, they're sitting there looking. And the Bible says that heaven opened. And a voice came from heaven and it's God himself, the Father God himself speaks it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit come in the form of a dove and set upon him. The triune God, picture of God. The Father speaking, the Spirit coming as a dove. And Jesus in a body form sitting there in the same instance, in the same story. It's known as the Trinity. Sure, God has three different variations that we see throughout Scripture. And it's so hard for us to wrap our mind around that. How can I figure out, how can God be three, but yet be one? Amen? How can I picture that? Because in our human form, we cannot understand with this carnal mind that things that are segmented can be united. Jodan was over to her house a while back and she asked us about this and she brought it up. The kids did too. He's like, hey, what about this Trinity thing? It's like, yeah. Well, I, you just see the wheels like, I don't know. <laughs> Can't figure that out. 
And I got a couple of things that I always say that I've studied, and I, I think this is the best picture for us in our carnal mind to understand this. Take an egg. We're going to be Easter egg hunting here in a little bit, right? An egg has an outer shell. It's an egg shell, right? Then wherever you crack it inside, there's a part that's known as the white. Mom uses that for meringue that I'm going to eat some pies after a while. Amen. It's an egg white, and then there's an egg yolk. There's three parts to that that's united into one thing. Then I use the, also the picture of water. That you can take water, H2O, chemical form. You can put it in really cold environment in below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and it becomes a solid. It's still H2O. It's just a form of it. Then you can heat it up a little bit until it becomes in room temperature, anywhere between 32 and 212. It becomes a liquid. It's movable, right? Then you heat it up above 212, and all of a sudden it turns into another form known as steam. It's still H2O. God, even in different forms, still unites. And what he wants us to do today is to hear this. For the next several weeks as a church, we're going to be going through some things through, through the Bible and getting some things to, to bring us to a perspective that we want to unite generational gaps. I love your kids. Whenever I see little Rowan or little Eddie And Dustin and them takes pictures during children's church, and they'll send them to me, and I see them over there with their hands lifted and their hearts wide open. There's no better picture of pure worship than that. And we can do it in here, but we're standing here in, in our adulthood thinking all these other thoughts and all these other things. Them little babies over there, it's just pure. And I love that purity. And God seeks that purity with you and I. Yes, we're adults. Yes, we got a, a lot of things going on in our minds. But he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this same Jesus that we're telling you about right there is one that John the Baptist baptized. But John the Baptist was declared as the Elijah that come before that great and dreadful day of God. 1 Peter 2.9 in the New Testament says this. This is a disciple that Jesus had made, Peter. He's the guy that cut a guy's ear off in the night of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's the same Peter that went with Jesus and said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'm going with you all the way to the end. Jesus, he goes with him. Jesus ends up over here in this courtyard where he's going to be tried. Peter had already cut a guy's ear off. Now he stands there, and as this little girl comes up to him, he's like, you're one of them. You're a Galilean, right? Peter standing there and looks at it. No. Dies again? No. Third time it says he cusses. He had been a disciple of Jesus for three years and throwed a cussing fit the night Jesus was getting ready to be killed. When you're a disciple of Jesus, it does not mean you're going to be perfect. Amen? And we can point fingers and say, well, you're not a Christian, you're not perfect, and you're not living life the way I think you should. That's dividing. Amen?
I'm not telling you to live in sin. Romans tells us that, yes, we're sinners, but we don't live in sin. We shouldn't strive to do that. How many has to try to sin? You don't even have to try to, do you? Just automatic. It's on autopilot. Did you have to tell your little kids? Did you have to train them? Little Carver, did you have to, John, did you have to teach her one day to get down? Now I'm going to teach you how to say no. <laughs> Come on, somebody, adults. Right? I'm going to teach you how to say no and what it means. Kids just automatically come out and say no. It's just automatic. It's one of their first words just about no. Mine. Stingy. You know, it's just the way it is. It's inherited in us that we're born that way. But Peter, this guy that denied Jesus and cussed this little girl for saying that he was a disciple, a guy that had cut her ear off, he writes this down for us and he says this, 1 Peter 2.9, and we're just about done. Let's see if you'll start playing. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This Jesus that I'm talking about, the uniter that I'm describing to you today during this service. He bridged a great divide. There was a divide that was so wide from humanity to God that was almost impassable and truly was impassable on our own terms. People tried to reach God, and they got super close a time or two. Moses on a hill, Elijah the prophet up on top of a mountain. They'd done awesome things throughout the Old Testament, but there was still a divide where that they couldn't come in a right relationship with God because of sin separated them from that very experience. God is calling us out of our darkness. What I mean by that is our humanity into his marvelous light. Jesus is calling you into his fold. And I, I really believe that there's many people in this room today that you can sense through the spirit that he's drawing you to come home. And unlike most selfish team captains, who looked at outward skills and abilities. And if you're born like me with feet for hands and couldn't dribble a ball, you're sitting there in gym class and they was going to pick a team and they got two kids there and you know, I'm going to pick a team, who's going to play? I'd be one of the last men standing usually. Pretty good bench warmer. Jesus isn't that kind of team captain. He sees your heart. He knows that you desire to be a generational bridge builder. And he wants you to be on his team. I can testify to this myself that I never felt good enough. I've said that already. But I can tell you this. When I met Jesus face to face and I knelt at an altar of prayer and I asked him to come in and fill my life,
that showed on. He brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that was in 1999. That's been several years ago. I didn't think I was useful to him at all. But looking back upon this, right now I can hear my grandma's words tell me when I was a little boy, Ben, you're special. She called me Bimbo. She said, Bimbo, you're special. I had no idea that she was looking at what God could do through me and not what I could do. And I'm challenging you adults right now, when we go over and we see those little kids, don't trip them. As Dusty said, don't, don't trip the little pudgy kids, you know, trying to get some candy. Amen. Pat them on the head. Say, God loves you. Tell them God has a plan for you. You're created for greatness. Amen. They hear enough doom and gloom and all the things that the world painting on them. What if we would rise up and be a generation of people as Christians that says, no, not in my house. Not in my house. Why? Because I want to serve God. And as for me in my house, I'm going to serve Him. And we're going to worship Him. And we're going to see Him transform lives. And people's lives are going to be changed for the glory of God. Why? Because I know God can. He builds a bridge that I can't build. It makes no sense to me why I'm even standing here right now. I told Dusty last night, I sat and talked to him in a truck last night for a long time. And I, was, I was nervous. I was nervous about today, and I don't get nervous. He had to calm me down, Sean. He had to calm me down. Your little brother had to chill me out. So I just speak from your heart, Pastor. It's what you always do. You have no idea the calling of God that is within you. There is no way I would stand up and talk to a crowd. Absolutely not. But here I am standing up talking to a crowd. And I don't want to. But God told me that's what I'm supposed to do. And that calling happened in a teenage revival. That a bunch of teenagers laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I walked out of that service that day and I went and told my youth pastor that I was serving under. And I told him, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to speak. He said, yeah, that'll be good. Get your sermon together. You can teach the teenagers. That was in 19, or in 2000. I got saved in 99. Six months later, I was preaching. That's a turnaround. That's a transition. That's a bridge from darkness to light. And I'm just testifying about that to you to tell you that's what God is capable of doing. If you're tired of being burdened by the troubles and trials of this life that you're living. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. Everybody here, nobody looking around. 
God, I know that your word says that no man can come to you unless the Father draws him. Father, we know that you do that through your spirit, that you sent back your spirit to be a comforter and a guide. That he's here, that he's real, that he's present with us in this room today. And God, I know that you're calling and drawing people in this room to yourself, that your spirit is moving in their heart. So God, I pray right now that he begins to move and speak to their heart in a way that they could tangibly feel. God, I pray that you would raise their heartbeat right now the same way that you did for me. God, that I knew when I was sitting in that church service back in 1999 that it felt like my heart was about to leap out of my chest. And God, I knew that you was asking me to come home. That you was asking me to leave my former life and come into this new life. And God, I know that you're doing that in this room right now. That there's people here. Some of them may have never known you. That they've never gave their life to you. And asked you to be the Lord of their life. But God, I know in this room today that there's people here that wants to be part of a solution. And leave the problems behind. And they're coming to you and asking you to help them today. And there's people here that may have given their life to you in childhood and maybe during their teenage years that they knew you and they attended a youth group somewhere. But somewhere throughout life that they left the fold and they ended up just going through life and doing it their way. And God, you're drawing them home too. And you're asking them to recommit today. Spirit of God, we ask you to bring conviction on our life as Christians. Let us abandon our own mind. Let us transition to this life of blessing others. God, I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Everybody's head bowed, everybody's eyes closed. Is there anybody here today that say, Pastor Ben, I feel God moving. And I'm just going to lift up my hand and say that I'm giving him my life. Or I'm recommitting my life to him today. Thank you for that hand. Is anybody else here? Amen. Thank you for that hand. Others? Amen. Thank you for those hands. Anybody else? I'm ready to transition my life. Thank you for those hands. Amen. There's hands everywhere. It's awesome. It's so awesome what God is doing. Amen. God built bridges in hearts in this place today. And Lord, as they lifted their hand and as they professed in this moment that they want to know you as their Lord and Savior and they're ready to commit and recommit to you. And God, that Christians are renewing their, their passion and their trust in you right now. God, I pray that you would just unite in this place today. Lord, that we would go out and whenever we go out into the egg hunt here in a minute, God, that there would be a generational bridge built. God, that we could encourage those kids, that we could be a blessing to the teenagers in the room. And God, that we wouldn't put each other down, but we would lift each other up. God, let us go out into the highways and byways. And God, let us be your voice 
that cause people to come together for your cause, for your purpose. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen.